Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. All we're doing is we're saying we are effectively allowing the customer to think they are in control of the decision. Now, clearly, ultimately, they are, okay? But you are putting different things in place to guide them. You don't call it the England Football Club. See, whereas I thought I was, like, (laughs) meeting halfway by calling it football and not soccer. You can either think of control as being located within you. So in other words, you are an actor that is changing your environment or the locus of control can be external to you. Don't forget to download the one-page podcast summary which highlights the key takeaways and the recommended actions. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary that's beyond philosophy.com backslash podcast summary we hope it's of use so ryan i'm going to show my age now okay in the 1990s we were on holiday or on vacation as i should say thank you for translating for me that's right yes. that's right I'm, i live halfway between the uk and the us so i can speak both languages we were in Spain somewhere, actually, and we'd taken the family there. And we hadn't done particularly good planning because it was when England were in the World Cup finals, soccer World Cup finals. And we were with some friends and with our kids who were very young at that point. So this is the 1990s, believe it or not. And we used to go to this bar to watch the England games. And England did really well that year. We got through to the semifinals of the World Cup, which is which is really good for us. So we're in the bar, we're watching some of the first round games, and I ordered some French fries, some chips, as we call them in England. We're getting a lot of great vocabulary lessons today in the podcast so far. That's <laughs> oh, good. You are. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah. I should write a book on that. That's right. So we ordered these French fries, chips, and lo and behold, when they were delivered to the table, England scored. And I thought, Oh, you've unlocked the secret. I have. So I think the game went into extra time or something like that. So we we ordered some more French fries. And guess what? England scored. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the next game, we're we're there all there watching. And I thought, I'm going to order some French fries. Order some French fries. And guess what? <laughs> England scored. And this is no word of a lie. There's like 150 people in this bar. And by the time we got to the semifinals, <laughs> everybody <laughs> was ordering French fries. <laughs> so England could score. So we had this illusion of control that we thought if we all ordered French fries, England were going to score. And they did initially, but <laughs> didn't in the end. You were willing to sacrifice the health of your heart. suffer eventual cardiac arrest for the sake of of the English football club. We admire your sacrifice. All for the greater good. What's happening there then? What is actually happening technically there? I don't think I had a hotline to the England team. (laughs) 
That's right. They England should have been paying for your fries, I think. Anybody who's who's been a fan of a losing sports club is well acquainted with what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, as you mentioned, this is known in psychology circles as the illusion of control. The idea that we feel like we have more control over things than we objectively do. There was another example of this that popped up on my Facebook feed recently. Uh, a friend was congratulating her daughter for graduating from graduate school right into a depression caused by the pandemic, and then mentioned that the when her daughter had graduated from college, it was also right into the Great Recession. So the conclusion we all drew from this is that her daughter should not go to school because that <laughs> is clearly causing bad things for the economy. <laughs> so this is also maybe just under the heading of superstition, is it? So a lot of superstitions very much are examples of illusion of control. We feel like if we do certain things in a certain way, then we can influence what's going on around us. Some of the beliefs around positive psychology or happiness beliefs, some of those are more scientifically grounded and they deal with how we react to things. So I don't want to like knock on all of positive psychology. But there are some beliefs too that if we just have a good enough attitude that the universe will respond to us positively. And there's less evidence of that if we look at it strictly. But we feel it. We feel it very strongly. We feel like if we do certain things, then we'll exert this control or influence on what's going on around us. And it's so pervasive that scientists have found evidence of it in lots of different places. So this rabbit's foot that I'm stroking exactly. here, whenever we do a podcast, that's my lucky charm. To be fair, it wasn't very lucky to the rabbit. That's right. Yes, as someone pointed out, not very lucky for the rabbit, but maybe it is lucky for you. You get to talk to me, that's pretty lucky for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some would think it is, but there you go. We see a lot of illusion of control in situations like sports, gambling. You see a lot of illusion of control, but it's also pervasive just in our general lives. One of the points that Daniel Kahneman made in Thinking Fast and Slow, his best-selling book, was that there's a lot more randomness in our lives and in even the successes of businesses and governments than we like to admit. And illusion of control explains some of that too. If our employee doesn't meet their sales quotas, we like to believe that it was entirely or mostly the result of the employee not putting in enough effort. Some of it may have been that. Some of it too, though, may have been things well beyond the control of that employee. And so we're kind of enforcing illusion of control on those individuals too, imagining that they have more control over what's going on than, than they might. And so I, when you start to think about it from a sort of a customer experience perspective, I guess you could make an argument that for those organizations, particularly in the retail space, that influence your buying behavior. And maybe I'm stretching this a bit too far as I normally do. But you are guided into what to buy, aren't you? As opposed to necessarily picking out the thing that you want. So I'm thinking about your classic example of the toothpaste style. There's an illusion of control, but actually I've been influenced by the advertising, where the products place, the quality of the design, 
all those other things. But actually, I think it's me that's making that choice. But again, maybe I'm stretching the example too far. No, I think it's a really interesting perspective on it. And there are people who would argue that the vast majority of the decisions that we make in a day are purely non-conscious. And so if we're to look at this from kind of a two systems perspective where we have a rational mind and our intuitive mind, to the extent that we have control over just the rational part of our mind, I think it's a really interesting perspective to look at that as an illusion of control perspective. So if we're making these decisions, as you like to say, emotionally and then justifying them rationally, that rational justification piece may be a part of this larger illusion of control that we may be even imposing a perceived sense of control over some of our own actions and not recognizing all of the ways that we've been nudged and influenced into that behavior. So no, I think that's really a really interesting take on it. So because one of the things that I have to say, not many, but some people have talked to me about is about, well, is this stuff manipulation? Are you manipulating somebody by putting some subconscious signal in here on purpose, all that type of thing. And and for me, the answer is, well, no. I mean, all you're doing is, and which is why the book Nudge was such a great name, you are sort of nudging, guiding somebody along that path. I mean, it's a bit like Lorraine, my wife, that I have the illusion of control with Lorraine when actually the reverse is true. The rest of us are under no illusion, Colin. We, we understand <laughs> And she generally says to me, you know, and we all know this, I guess, but when you make a decision, you actually plant a seed and then somebody goes, I've had this idea and I think we should do that. And he goes, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I wonder where that one come from then. As she sits there and smiles. Yes. No, that was, uh, I have co-authors where I, I need to do the same thing. If I come right out and say, we should do this then they'll, they'll be wanting to argue the other side of it. But instead, if you leave a trail of breadcrumbs where they come to the conclusion, then you can just say, oh, what a great idea. So when you think about that, though, we're talking about designing an experience to get an outcome. And in this case, all we're doing is we're saying we are effectively allowing the customer to think they are in control of the decision. Now, clearly, ultimately, they are. Okay, but you are putting different things in place to guide them to think that they're making the choice. Now, they are making the choice. And again, I don't want to get back to this sort of manipulation piece. They are making the choice, but you're making the choice more obvious to them or influencing that choice through the things and the way that you've designed that experience. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And the only part that I would add to that is the illusion of control also, though, applies to the nudger as well as to the person being nudged. So when we implement these changes to designing the customer experience, there's science that tells us that certain things are are likely to work and certain things are likely to be more influential or more persuasive. But at the same time, there are limits to what we can control as well, right? So the illusion of control should make us all more humble. It shouldn't lead us to believe that we're just like helpless, that we don't actually control anything, but it should make us realize that our natural tendency is often to believe that we have more control over situations than we necessarily do. And so to kind of be more humble in those approaches. Right. That makes sense. 
So there's a companion idea that I want us to talk about too around control. So the illusion of control is this idea that we feel like we have more control over things than we necessarily do. So think about whatever it is you do it when you're gambling to make yourself feel lucky. That's the illusion of control. Whatever you do to, to make the England football club score when they're in the World Cup match. You don't call it the England football club. See, whereas I thought I was like <laughs> meeting halfway by calling it football and not soccer. All right, you, the, you are, the England yeah. national soccer team. Is that better? That's thank you. Is it? Because I, I thought you were going to get offended if I called it soccer. <laughs> whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. Can I have See, a plate of French fries, please? I'm under the illusion that I have any kind of control over this conversation <laughs> and where it's going to go. And clearly, I'm mistaken. Yeah, very much so. That's the illusion of control. Anything, anything Colin does to justify the eating of french fries which is really what that story was about you are absolutely you are right there as long as there's enough of uh, malt vinegar and salt to go with it then you're fine that's the illusion of control the other part of this which is kind of a complementary idea that's been studied in psychology is what's called the locus of control so where is your sense of control located and people naturally differ on this and you can also kind of be nudged one way or another on this. The basic idea is that you can either think of control as being located within you. So in other words, you are an actor that is changing your environment, or the locus of control can be external to you. And then you feel kind of helpless and you are being acted upon and kind of being blown with the wind. People differ on on this naturally. So some people naturally feel have a more internalized locus of control, and some people are more naturally external. And then also situations can make us feel one way or the other on that. That I think is interesting, isn't it? Because you're now into sort of segmentation and behavior and stuff, aren't you? Because it's that bit about, is the world doing something to you? Are you, you doing something to the world? Those people that go, oh, the world's against me. I guess maybe this is a sweeping generalization, but it's a bit like the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. Which way do you look at it? This is definitely tied into pessimism and optimism. I think one of the things that makes people feel optimistic is an internalized locus of control. If you feel like you can do something about it, I think that that is going to naturally be correlated with optimism. An external locus of control will lead you to feel helpless because there's nothing you can do. It's just the world is acting upon you. We don't talk a lot about psychological health in this podcast, but internalized locus of control is, is kind of a much more healthy psychological perspective. It gives us options and opportunities more so than feeling victimized. We all know how important employee engagement is in creating a great customer experience. In my new book, Happy Employees Make Happy Customers, I detail out what you should be doing to emotionally engage with your employees, and I share a number of examples of what other organizations are doing. For our podcast listeners, we are pleased to offer a 50% discount on the retail price. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash happy That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash happy and use promotional code podcast50. That's podcast50. I hope you enjoy the book. 
It's interesting, actually, because when you start to think about it, I was just about to say it depends where it comes with the government and the nanny state, doesn't it? Yeah. It's interesting how people seem to be ceding more control or wanting more control to be had by the government or whatever in what you do. And I'm thinking recently through the pandemic and stuff like that, it's effectively tell me what I need to do or tell me what I can do, as opposed to I'm thinking things through myself. You can very much think about the way people are reacting to the pandemic through this perspective. So through both illusion of control and locus of control. So some people feel like they have no control over what's going on in the world or in their own lives as they react to this pandemic. And so they may kind of shelter in at home in fear, not knowing what to do, feeling like there's nothing they can do to help themselves. There are people, though, who could take exactly the same actions from an internalized locus of control perspective. So they could also choose to shelter at home and also choose to maximize the likelihood of their not getting the virus by minimizing contact and so on, washing their hands a lot and wearing face masks. But they're doing it because they feel like these are things that they can do to protect themselves and others. And so the same internal and external locus of control or illusions of control can sometimes even lead to the same behaviors. Not always. Sometimes they lead to opposite behaviors. But it depends on the way that that we're motivated towards those behaviors. So if you think about, if you spread the concept a bit wider again, if you think about an illusion of control, I guess it makes me think, if I'm going for a job interview and I've done my preparation, I've worn my best suit, I've polished my shoes. In other words, I'm doing everything I possibly can. That gives me, and maybe again, I'm spreading it too wide, that gives me a, an illusion of control. I've mostly been on the hiring side of the table in academic job settings, so where we're hiring new professors for the school. And I believe I had much more of an illusion of control when I was a PhD student interviewing for my first job, then was justified. Like I, it was an illusion. There are certain things you can do. You can be prepared. You can polish up your resume. You can wear a nice suit. When we're applying for jobs, we feel like the entire decision is going to be driven by us, you know, and did I choose the right tie to wear? And a lot of that is an illusion because if you're ever on the hiring side of the equation and you see how these decisions are made you realize there's just there's much more randomness it's not just because you wore the right tie exactly. or not yes yeah that's exactly it yeah it is very much kind of telling ourselves stories let, let me give you a, a weird example did you happen to see the movie joker joaquin phoenix movie that came out last year yes yeah 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 it's very good he won an Academy Award for it. I thought he was brilliant. It was this amazing performance. I didn't like the movie, though. And it was because of this locus of control idea. To me, giving anything away for people who haven't seen the movie, to me, the character of the Joker, as, as amazing as that performance was, as amazing as that character sketch was, he had a completely external locus of control. He was just floating in this world that was acting on him. And he, at no point in the film, was actually actively changing things. He was just kind of like bobbing around, buffeted by the winds. And so that made for a very unsatisfying plot to me. 
that the main character didn't have any kind of volition of his own. And that was very much an external locus of control character. He was acted upon instead of acting. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. From a customer perspective, I guess it would depend upon the situation, would depend upon where you would want to have the the locus of control. So in some situations, you would want the customer to feel that they are in control. In other situations, you would want them to feel that you, the supplier or the company, are in control. So I'm now thinking Disney, and I'm thinking roller coaster rides and stuff like that, that I'm in control because I want to go, but I'm sort of ceding control over my safety because I think that they're going to be doing the the right things and I trust the brand and all those other wonderful things. Yeah, no, I think both of those perspectives are great. So in general, people will like to feel more in control. There will definitely be exceptions to that, but in general, as a rule, people like to feel like they're in control. So are there things you can do to encourage that, to help people feel like they're in control of the situation? I've used this example before, but you and I have consulted together with a health insurer And dealing with health insurance and dealing with medical issues are circumstances where most people will feel an external locus of control. They will feel like they are not in control of that situation. Their health is just a function of the way their body's responding to things and what the doctors are doing, and there's not a lot that they can do. That would be an instance where can you do things to help people feel like they are in more control over this situation? Because that would be so valuable to those customers if you can empower them, make them feel like they can take action. And, you know, I think that there are relatively small things that you can do that would encourage that kind of change in mindset. And, And gosh, that would be so helpful for those customers. I was just thinking, building on that, where are the areas of disappointment? The areas of disappointment could be where you think that you should be in control and the company doesn't let you. I wish to make this choice or I want to buy that particular thing or I want to be able to do this in this way. And the organization is saying, nah, you can't do that. Or where you think that the organization should be doing something and in control. And again, they're not. They're passing that back to you to make a decision on. So I guess those two areas are going to be areas of conflict and potential complaint dissatisfaction, aren't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so why don't we try and do our usual bit of trying to pull this into some semblance of order and what would we recommend that people do? What's the takeaway from this? So for me, I would recommend two takeaways, one for yourself and then one for your customers. So for you, recognize that control is something that we feel and that can change. So Some of the things that we feel like we've got control over or can influence are just an illusion. You're not actually changing the outcome of that sports game by wearing your hat backwards or hopping on one foot. And then likewise, in our professional 
lives as well. There are certain things that we, we just don't control, even if we really, really wish that we did. So recognize that in yourself, recognize that that's a bias and can, on the margins, hurt us. And so try to correct for that when you can. In terms of understanding your customers, you and I have talked in the past, Colin, about better ways of segmenting and segmenting around psychographics and around behavior. I think that the segmenting around the locus of control could be potentially useful. So if you've got customers that you engage with, are there ways that you can figure out quickly, is this the type of customer who feels like they are making the decisions? Or is this the kind of customer who feels like they're being acted upon by our company? You may be able to develop different ways of interacting with those two different types of customers. And you might be able to empower customers who feel helpless so that they can feel better about themselves and about the situation. Yeah. And I, and I think that for me is the key. So a couple of things. So support everything you've just said, but a couple of things from me. One is in the design of your experience, who does the customer believe should be in control? Yeah. So understanding what the customer believes, whether it should be them that's in control, whether they think that you should be in control, you need to understand that. Okay. So you can design that experience. The second thing is to understand that this can be an area of conflict if you're not meeting what the customer believes should be the case. So again, understanding that I think is becoming key. And then effectively, you are, and I go back to that sort of concept we spoke about at the beginning of the podcast, effectively, you are given the illusion of control by designing an experience that culminates in the customer buying something from you. Okay. And hopefully through all the things that we've spoken about on the podcast over the last couple of years, you're implementing those things and that that is getting the customer to buy things and they believe that they're in control and they are ultimately, but you've nudged them along all the way through the design, through the subconscious signals, through the emotions to actually make that choice. So thank you very much for today. I'm just about to go off on all of my plate of chip as the England football club wasn't it, are going to be playing over it the next be. few days. So. I don't know what you guys call it, but it should be. <laughs> so thanks, everyone, for listening today. Reminder, just as I said at the beginning of the top of the show, if you want to download the podcast summary, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. We look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.